This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, that was pretty bad. It's kind of a catchphrase. It wasn't all that bad. Uh, The Raptors were able to achieve some things, failed at others. Some things that they've been good at so far this season, they struggled with. Some things that they've struggled with, they actually did quite well. And they did it all against the defending champions, the, the, I was going to call them the Nikola Nuggets, but the Denver Nuggets, 113 to 104, they lose. Nikola Jokic was sublime. Scotty Barnes was sublime. Supporting cast in both games, I think, faltered to some degree. And it just good news for the Nuggets. Their supporting cast got to do more of their damage in transition. And the Raptors spent, you know, a little bit more time in this game in the half court where they did pretty well. And the Nuggets, on you know, for their part, they were juiced. Their transition stuff was insane. A lot of their made threes in transition um obviously both of these teams in this game a lot of the motivation when you look at Jokic's stats like 31 points six assists 15 rebounds Scotty 30 points five assists 10 rebounds and I think Scotty's was even I would say a little bit more impressive because I thought he created more of his looks and he was able to create more often for himself now of course Nikola Jokic is the best playmaker in the world He's probably the best player in the world, and he's able to, he's just, if we think Scotty is a selfless player and really unselfish, he certainly is, but Jokic, he takes that to the the nth degree, and I think that he did such a good job, because the Raptors did throw a lot of different coverages at him, talking to Darko before the game, asking about, like, how do you stop him, even talking to Coach Malone about, you know, when the Raptors hang a guy in the lane, and when the Raptors are trying to dissuade the Nuggets from initiating through the low post, trying to move them above into the high post, like how do you, from the Nuggets perspective, do you kowtow to that? Do you say, okay, we'll start working stuff from the high post in order to get, um, in order to get Jokic the ball so we can start there? Or do you try and have your other guys play, make, and create as teams overload on Jokic because that is an advantage to begin with to some degree? Obviously, and it ended up a heavy mix of both, but a lot of stuff above the break, um, which culminated in some really strange cross matches early on in the game. Like the Raptors went Jakob on Aaron Gordon. They went Scotty on uh, Jokic, which I thought was kind of cool. And I think that Scotty and OG in particular, early on anyway, did a pretty decent job of showing a lot of attention to Jokic trying to crowd passing lanes to get the ball to him, and then also kind of being able to herd him into the help coverage that they needed to early on. That did kind of go away as the game went on. The Raptors were less 
I don't know, proactive in getting the help there. They were less proactive in doing some of those scram switches to get guys out of trouble. And that's how you end up with Malachi Flynn, you know, guarding Jokic, even if it's 19 or 20 feet away from the basket. That's a big problem. That's not something you're going to be able to. That's not tenable. That's not going to create a good uh, defensive outcome. And then so just for the statistics, for the people who want to know, really interesting. In this game, the Raptors half-court offense, 106.3. The Denver half-court offense, 102.5. The Raptors, they, they almost won this game in the half-court. Now, of course, there's a lot of putbacks in a team with Nikola Jokic. He's going to have those little bunnies that pop in and out that end up back in his hands. I think the, how many offensive rebounds? They had 15 on the game. The Raptors, just poking around, had 10, five extra possessions. It's not always going to be, uh, it's not always going to be about the rebounds, but when you have a guy like Jokic, you have to prepare for that. That isn't something, of course, that we're going to do you know, look at game in and game out that you always have a look at that. Um, but the Raptors, you know, in a game like this, you have to bring a little bit more, especially when you're cross-matched. Like if you're going to put OG and Scotty on Jokic and you're going to make, you know, the defense kind of how it's ball denial, right? You're going to try and keep the ball away from Jokic. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. Um, it was just late in the game that kind of broke down. He scored a lot of points in the fourth quarter, um, some of them on broken plays. But the Raptors, you also have to prepare for the fact that Jokic is going to crash the glass. He's going to bring that ruckus in there, and he certainly did. But I think I look at this game, and I think that the Raptors did a lot of things really well from positions that they don't usually get them. Um, Coco asks, have we talked about Precious yet? We will, and he's part of that surprisingly great performance. I talked to him a little bit after the game. And, you know, just talking about how good he's been over the last nine games or so. More than, I think, 11 points per game over that stretch. Almost 40% from three, north of 50% on the floor. He's been a big part of some of these bench units with Scotty and with OG. And um, he's been fantastic. He also played more minutes than Jakob. Second game in a row where Jakob plays less than 20 minutes. Jakob had a ton of trouble being cross-matched. They didn't really know how to utilize him on offense. It was tough. Um, Nesta asks, was Darko's response to Eric Kareen's questions about a rotation change as concerning as they sounded? I don't think it was as concerning as it might have read. You'll watch the video. You'll decide for yourself. But actually, I think the most scathing thing was I kind of asked Darko about where scheme and effort meet each other. And he had a really long answer, which is just too long to tra transcribe quickly. And there's a reason probably none of it ended up on social media. But I asked him about where scheme and effort kind of meet. And he says, without effort, it's nothing. You can't elevate scheme without effort. And he talked about how if you don't have effort, you're not going to get anything. And he was quite impassioned as he was talking about that. And clearly, you know, Scotty got asked about effort. Precious got asked about effort. Darko got asked about effort. Everyone can kind of see that listlessness on defense, and especially the fact that the Raptors in the half court, they did a decent job. They threw a bunch of bodies at Jokic. They recovered. And yes, they had some three-point variance luck. Guys who shoot really, really well didn't in this game for the Nuggets. And that's not because the Raptors had, you know, unbelievably good closeouts. That's not for any type of reason. They didn't control for that. Sometimes the other team just misses. 
What you can control for typically a little bit better is transition defense because a lot of that is getting guys back, making sure you stop ball, sending bodies to the ball, making sure that you're, you know, zoning up, stopping ball and collapsing to the right spots without offering up the rim. And the Raptors, I I don't think they were very good at that today. So it's tough. And the most concerning thing would be that Darko seemed like he didn't really know how to explain the effort. Precious was asked about effort by Doug Smith, and he said he wasn't really sure how to answer that. I framed it a little bit of a different way, talking about, like, what do you guys talk about as players? He didn't really know how to answer that. They just said, we don't have as much of uh we don't really have an idea of how to explain it. And, you know, what that says to me is that, like, obviously these guys are having probably tough conversations. They have a ton of defensive talent. They know they do. They've openly said, like, they talk about being a defensively talented team and they're underperforming it. Even even at, I think, coming into this game, they were 13th ranked in the NBA per cleaning the glass, which takes away garbage time, uh, you know, stats and numbers. So it's kind of like the real numbers, 13th. And as far as, you know, where they should be, I thought this team should be like top seven. I thought, and then I thought the floor was like 12 and, and up. And they've been below the floor for like a decent chunk of the season at this point. It's it's been tough. Um, Nesta says Scotty in a few years should be strong enough to really hold bigger centers out of the post more, but a bench center needs to be a true seven foot big body for C. Yeah, it's. I don't think Scotty's future is as a center, but I can see the Raptors being able to go to him as a center for like maybe between four to six minutes a game in unique matchups. The center position is really important, of course, and Jakob could be good on a number of teams. His effectiveness is waning a little bit because of the tough offensive fit. And of course, as far as, you know, Precious coming into games and being able to provide more pop. Um, Sorry about that. The mic got unplugged. Uh, USB. Anyway, so basically what I was saying is that um, Precious being able to play play a more switch-heavy style helps the Raptors at the point of attack where otherwise having Jakob, even if he plays up to touch, even if he tries to like hedge, even if he's playing in a high drop, basically the thing that is tough is that the Raptors have not only been a little bit underwhelming as far as Jakob setting the edge on screens, making sure that he doesn't let guys turn back middle, and then playing the the middle ground between ball handler and roller. That's been tough, and he's not had as much success navigating that space without a tag as he has in the past. But also that the point of attack defense has been a little bit, I guess, underwhelming as well. And that's across quite a few different, like the point of attack defense has been so underwhelming that uh, I wouldn't even put it on one guy. I know probably a lot of people are like, well, Dennis, but it's not just Dennis, even a guy like OG, right? Pascal, Scotty, everybody is struggling more at the point of attack. And so it makes sense the Raptors' easiest avenue to making sure that that is better is by subbing in Precious Achua. 
and Precious allows them to switch more actions. Precious allows them some more aggressive coverages, and Precious makes sure that they can use their length to catch up on the back end instead of having bigger guys try and keep up with smaller guys at the point of attack. All this stuff was definitely explored ad nauseum by Nick Nurse when he was coaching this team, and they're looking towards some of that stuff more often now. Um, Nick Nurse, you know, this was my assessment last season was that Nick Nurse was a really good coach um, as far as like how he saw the game, what he wanted the team to do, given the roster. I'm agreed on that. And I think most people um, definitely now with perspective, seeing different things, probably acknowledge that. But it was more an interpersonal thing for Nick to go. And I think Darko has done a really good job interpersonally with these players And the team is built really funky. I know people get really upset at Darko. And particularly when I look at Twitter, people seem to think that Darko is kind of what's stuck between this team and success. And I think what's stuck between this team and success is just how it's built. Um, This team, you know, we talked about it many, many different episodes, but this team doesn't have the sufficient guard play. And that doesn't mean that it's Dennis's fault. It means that this team doesn't have sufficient guard play. You are bringing known quantities onto your team. You are bringing on you know, players that have these giant track records who you can reasonably expect to perform around X and Y. And Dennis's performance this season hasn't been out of the blue or anything. I think early on he was giving you really great performances, I think, and overachieving to some degree. And you'll take overachievements wherever you can get them. But Dennis has been like a little bit worse than he was at the start of the season for this past stretch. And he's also just like not paid super well for a lead guard in the NBA. Does he have more possessions than I think he should? Sure. But I don't look at this team and think that Darko can just like shake it up and coach them to some sort of great thing. I think that this is a deeply flawed, deeply limited team, and that isn't a result of any one player. That's a result of overlapping skills, deficiencies elsewhere, and this was a team that originally, I think, wanted certain players to develop and kind of paper over deficiencies so that they could lean on strengths elsewhere. But I think what Raptors fans, because your idea of basketball is kind of, you learn a lot because of what team you watch. And Raptors fans should probably be getting really close to the idea of that your limitations define who you are just as much as your strengths in the NBA. And the Raptors, they have to be able to, going forward into the future, build with Scotty in mind. And of course, you know, try and make sure that some of those limitations don't shine as bright. And in a game like this against the Nuggets, the Raptors, I think that they did a good job of paper, papering over a bunch of limitations, especially from an offensive point of view. They just didn't have enough possessions in this game. They just turned the ball over a little bit too much. Even even if it was just 12, you're playing the Nuggets, right? You have to be damn near perfect to beat this team, even when they don't have their best shooting night. They created a bunch of good looks. The Raptors forced the ball out of Jokic's hands, made sure that other players had to freestyle. Like Jamal Murray was creating outside of the Jokic Murray two-man game way more than usual and also they were making they made sure they crowded a bunch of Jokic's passing lanes make sure that Murray moves the ball ball on elsewhere but 
they're still able to get to open shots. They still missed a bunch. This is a fantastic team. And it's no wonder that a guy like Peyton Watson, for example, goes five for six. Why? Because he wasn't doing the shot variance thing. Peyton Watson was punching the gap. He was going straight to the rim. So when the Raptors are throwing a lot of bodies at Jokic and they're saying like, okay, we want to make sure the ball leaves his hands and Jokic is seeing and reading the defensive rotation. He knows where the ball has to go when he floats one over to a guy who ends up missing a three. The Nuggets are like, that's a that's good process. We're just going to keep doing that. But if the guy who's catching it is Peyton Watson, he's not going to leave it up to like, oh, am I going to shoot this three? Am I, am I going to see if I can make it? He's like, no, I'm going to punch the gap and I'm going to pressure the rim. He ends up going five or six. The Raptors would have been more susceptible to that if a guy like Michael Porter Jr. wants to put the ball down a little bit more often. Um, they did a pretty good job of shading Aaron Gordon in particular. But if Jamal or Porter Jr., even a guy like Reggie Jackson were a little bit more, I guess, intent on getting to the rim, the Raptors defense may have suffered a little bit more. But I think as far as their game plan in this game, it, they did a pretty good job. And then offensively, of course, there's one guy who motivated a ton of success, Scotty Barnes, 30 points, five assists, 10 rebounds. He was awesome, man. Um, I tried to get him to talk a little bit about coverages after the game. He wasn't he wasn't really biting if, like at all. And I thought that he did a great job in this game. And especially working early offense, this is where Scotty is tremendous. This is where Raptors fans will have seen so many impressive early offensive possessions from Kyle Lowry. You know, not everything is a transition possession, but guys get back a little late. Guys get into the shell of their defense a little bit late. The shape can be bent out a little bit. And Scotty has a really good eye for when that's happening. Pressing, he'll push himself to the baseline corner. He'll he'll go all the way, but he's not scared of being stuck in the baseline corner like a, a smaller guard would be necessarily, right? Because Scotty can take it down there and he has the height and the talent and the strength to just like pass out of there to any spot on the court that he wants. So he keeps pushing. He pushes till he gets baseline. If he has to reset the offense, he does. But on some occasions, he turns that into an early post-up for himself, a bully drive, where he turns that into finding somebody in a driving lane as he occupies space and draws two to the ball. It, he did a masterful job in picking those spots and making sure that he could create those looks. Pascal and like Scotty in this game could have easily had like 10, 12 assists, I think. Pascal could have easily had five or six. He only finished with one. But the Nuggets did a really good job of making sure that the Raptors had to make two passes to find the shot. They they weren't going to let the Raptors beat them in isolation or one pass away. Not really. Now, Scotty was able to score in isolation a few times. But why? Because of what I just said. He pushed early before the Nuggets got into the shape of their defense, before they found their help principles or were in a position to act out their help principles, and he was able to score in isolation. But Scotty and Pascal got a fair bit of attention. They pass out, and the Nuggets were like, okay, we're going to like close out really hard, really, really hard, and we're going to show behind that closeout. So we want them keep moving the ball. And that's why the assist numbers are maybe a little bit lower in this game as far as like Scotty or Pascal. And why we see a guy like Dennis, he finishes with seven assists in this game, Gary finishes with four, OG with three. These guys weren't doing that much on ball, uh, but 
since they were just the in-between, the connector, just moving the ball from, okay, you guys bent the defense, let me move the ball on. And the Raptors did a decent job scoring out of that. They just didn't have enough possessions. And credit to Denver, I thought it was good defense. But Scotty was the biggest motivator of their success on that end. Um, one for five from three, both between Pascal and Scotty. Uh, you hope that is better going forward from both of them. You can reasonably expect it to be. But I think that in the half court, Scotty was phenomenal. Pascal, maybe a little bit of a tough game since the shot making in the mid range wasn't exactly there. And since they hung guys in the lane repeatedly, I think that he had like a lot of trouble getting to the rim. And he doesn't move guys as easy as Scotty does. Scotty is a lot more of a physical presence than Pascal is. He can really make you step up with conviction. Pascal, seeing bodies is going to affect the drive a little bit more than him, uh, more than Scotty. Scotty, he can kind of blow through that stuff pretty easily. Uh, this was like a superstar game from Scotty. I was really happy because Trey was at this game with a, a friend, um, took him to go see Jokic, and uh, you also get like a fantastic Scotty game. And and in a game like this, like that's what the the NBA is, right? You know, the NBA is here as a an entertainment conglomerate. And so if you see Scotty Barnes pop off, he has a fantastic game. He play makes in a multitude of ways. You get the same thing from Nikola Jokic because I was on press row, man. This was actually the first time I've ever seen Nikola Jokic live, despite, you know, covering the team last season. I guess I wasn't at the, the Denver game. I don't know what I was doing, but I was talking to everybody. <laughs> Joe Wolfond had that, like the loudest laugh at this, but I said, this is actually my first time seeing Jokic live. Jokic took a live dribble, went baseline, and immediately did a two-hand behind-the-head bounce pass to Aaron Gordon. I just says, oh, my God. Like, I, I'm like, I'm like, hey, I've, I haven't really seen this guy before. I'm, I'm really excited to watch him. And he immediately does something that I have not seen any other player do. Like it's not to do like the white guy talking about Larry Bird thing that I know everybody understands because Bill Simmons had such an outsized impact on basketball media. But I that makes me think of like Larry Bird and um, and like Magic Johnson and that era. And Jokic does it at a, just a way bigger shape and and just a way different body. He is incredibly impressive, and he and he'll always find the shot. This was what I talked about on numerous like NBA wide podcasts. Once the Raptors got eliminated, and I'm still working, was that Jokic does this fantastic thing where he will always mine the advantage and find it. Um, sure, he dribbled the ball off his foot early on in this game. Sure, he did like a whole bunch of different things. But as far as when you throw coverages at him, he'll understand where the coverage is coming from. He'll keep a live dribble if he has to. He'll pick up his dribble, fake a pass to get back to that isolation. He'll finish over top of somebody. Or he'll read where all the defense is coming from, and he'll make the exact correct pass. He is going to beat you. And I think that the Raptors did a fairly decent job of guarding that. And I wish, I wish that their transition defense had met the moment of their half-court defense. Because it's not every game that you get you know, this poor shooting night from the Nuggets. And if people want to go look and they say like, well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But the Nuggets are one of the best teams in the world. And there was a couple guys in this game that they definitely could have ended up shooting the ball better. Um, no Detlef shout out, says Micah. Um, yeah, <laughs> rule number one of b-ball comparisons is got to compare Euros to each other. I hate comparisons. 
um, typically. I think like uh, com- comparison is the thief of joy is the saying or something like that, right? Um, I like uh, maybe play style comparisons or like play to play comparisons. There was this Jalen Green split in a, you know, like a, a hedge in, in pick and roll coverage. And he split the hedge and I was like, that looked just like Isaiah Thomas back in the Detroit days. And then when I was doing a, an NBA wide podcast, um, we put that clip out and obviously it found its way to Detroit Twitter and everybody's yelling at me for saying I compared Jalen Green to Isaiah Thomas. And I was like, no, just this one play. And we actually put like Isaiah's split next to Jalen Green's and it looked really similar, but people hate comparisons. You get yourself into, I don't know, tough positions with them, I guess. And it is the thief of joy to some degree. Um, something that should be talked about, Precious Achua. Let's keep it there. It was interesting that they have OG plus bench and they're making headway. And who was leading the charge there? It wasn't OG necessarily. It was Precious Achua. Precious finishes with the third most field goal attempts from the Raptors in this game. He finished with 13 points, five boards. He is a plus six in almost 25 minutes. I thought he was sublime. We talked earlier about how he allows the Raptors to play different um, schemes defensively to be a little bit more aggressive and to make things easier on the point of attack defenders. That's all true. But the big thing, at least to my mind, has been the offensive punch over the past nine or 10 games. I think that he's really found a nice groove. The the three-point shot being closer to like, I reckon, you know, the stats weren't completed for this nine-game stretch, um, but I reckon it's probably close to like 38, 39% over that stretch. That's big. It opens up quite a few different things. It makes him more comfortable to work above the break, and it just adds a release valve a couple times a game which is really important. And it also makes things a little bit more tenable. Like he had that keeper play. I can't remember who was guarding him exactly, but um, he had a keeper play, put the ball into the lane, big dunk. And he doesn't get to do that without being a threat with a live dribble. He doesn't get to do that without Gary running towards him to initiate it with his shooting gravity. And so your skill sets and how they're perceived exist and loom large in the mind of opponents. And I think that Precious how he's been playing over the past however long when I asked him about it he said oh it's just finding a rhythm it's just about finding you know your reads and stuff like that and precious I it's been a couple years now of me trying to get him to I don't know divulge some of the secrets of his game or anything like that he's always hesitant he just calls everything uh calls everything a read and that's true to some degree but he'll never get more specific I, I find Maybe, maybe like I know there was that that viral moment, Savannah, when she read out like half of his stat line and he finished it for her. Precious is extremely funny. He also, yeah, anyway, um, Precious is very funny, but it's hard to get him to talk about like the specifics of his game. Um, he's very soft-spoken. He's great. And he'll never say anything bad about uh, like his teammates or anything like that, but it's hard to get him to divulge. But what I see in his game is I see like, He's, I don't know if this is from the coaches. I don't know if this is from the front office. I don't know what the motivation is, but he very clearly has a little bit more room to work on ball. He has, uh, I don't know if it's from teammates either. Maybe it's from himself, but he has more license to go to work. And I know that's like a hot topic because 
a lot of people really resent a lot of the like it's precious time type possessions and i understand why people would but it's also like the it's precious time stuff is tied to his potential like the highest version of it and the best time for like the best time to be a precious fan the best time to be you know a precious believer was the end of the 2021-22 season and you know that playoff uh, series against Joel Embiid and he was shooting the three well yes but he was also blitzing and like playing these super aggressive schemes on defense getting back into plays being a help side defender playing like really great in the middle of pick and rolls on the defensive side and offensively getting to play in space because of the smaller lineups and being able to shred other front court people when they're mismatched on them. And then even if he gets cross matched onto a wing, like in this game, like he, he got a deep post on Julian Strother bump, bump, gather, take the bump, go up and one, like he's way stronger than wings. He can reliably post them up. I know it's like some of it can be a little bit clunky. That's fine. But he can post up wings, I feel, well enough. And he also, he can shred other frontcourt players in space because he's way faster and way more athletic. Now, his handle can get him into trouble, but it's certainly functional. And it, there's a lot more flash to it than a lot of guys his size. I know uh, Nas Reed is like the ultimate example of a fleet-footed big who's you know slick on ball and is shredding other frontcourt players. And Precious has to work like a long ways to get to that point. And the team context has to be a little bit more friendly. Like if you were playing next to Carl Anthony Towns, I'm sure he'd have more opportunities for that. But in a game like this and over the past handful of games, I think that Precious has done a fantastic job of attacking space. And in this game, you could feel that. In this game, you could feel the diversity of you know defensive looks they could throw at the Nuggets because of his presence out there. And that's why in this game, he plays almost 25 minutes. He's a plus six. He has 13 points, five rebounds. He's third on the team in scoring. He's tied for second or third on the team in rebounds. He has an assist. He shoots 60% from the field. You know, I he was phenomenal. He's he's just like terrific, and he motivated the success of that. Uh, he motivated the, the success of that OG plus bench lineup. It was the I made the joke in the media room. It was like precious plus bench lineup. You know, uh, I don't mean that to disparage OG or anything. That's not that's not what I mean. But precious was the leader of that. He looked like the guy who the offense was running through, and I thought he was fantastic in this game, and. For the same reason that uh, I didn't want to get too high on the defense after a really impressive stretch against Charlotte. And at the end of that podcast, I said, like, well, it's Charlotte. You know, we have to see this against some other teams. And you get, you know, Denver one night and we get Philly, you know, next time. And so that'll be there's a litmus test to be sure. I, I don't think that this game should have everyone super low or down uh, because this is also the Denver Nuggets, you know. This is a good basketball team. And the Raptors played a decent amount. They just, they they find themselves in holes. But, you know, when we're in there, and I know people have qualms maybe about some. Now, I this is the first game I've been to since the incident. And so I haven't been there to ask questions, really. Uh, tonight I was. And I know some people have um, qualms about, like, what questions get asked from the media to Darko or to the players or something like that. But I, I don't think the fix for this team is on this team. I, I, I have qualms about 
some of the rotation decisions. I think I have qualms about the starting lineup. I'm definitely on the side of, you know, I think it should be Gary in there. That's But Gary, I understand why he, it hasn't been an easy decision because Gary has been slow to start this season. And Gary has also, I think, had a lot of trouble taking on more of those on-ball possessions. And I think that Darko has an offense that he's trying to run that is maybe a little bit ill-fitting for the, the players on the team. Now, you could argue that he isn't coaching the team he has well enough with a scheme that fits what they want to do, but he has pared back more of that. He has shifted more of the offense towards like wing-initiated stuff as the season has gone on. And on top of that, I think a lot of people in the fan base also think like um, they think that this team should look different at the end of the season and they want it to be centered around Scotty Barnes. And to some degree, I think that Darko is coaching or trying to coach to a scheme that he thinks will maximize Scotty plus other people in the future. And that's kind of sitting in the middle ground is tough. And I don't, Darko on the margins, is there things he could be doing better? Yes, I'm sure. But as far as like, is Darko keeping this team from being an above 500 team? I don't think so. Is Darko keeping this team from being like a well above 500 team? I don't think so. Um, I think that this team is, the results largely are about the players. And, uh, you know, 1800 Lunatic says the circle effect on the stream has you looking like a god. I noticed that. Obviously, it's because of the USB um, getting unplugged halfway through. But yeah, my apologies for that. Better next stream, which I think will be with my mom. Actually, we'll get some basketball insights from her. But uh, yeah, I think that I would like to see a change in the starting lineup. Eric obviously asked... um, Eric Kareen asked Darko about maybe changing that lineup since Darko said he wanted to give them a few more games like a week and a half ago or maybe two weeks. And Darko obviously brought up the thing that I think about, that when you change the starting lineup, it there's a ripple effect that it changes all of the rotations. And, of course, um, Darko, at least so far this season, seems to be very, very stuck on his rotations. Um, and... I wish he were more flexible with that, I, like I really do, but he hasn't been, and he's also a new head coach. He's probably trying to find his footing with what works on, on his own end, but with that said, I'd like to see a starting lineup change. Um, and then after I asked like Darko, you know, who, because he said they were having conversations about it, and I said, well, what do those conversations look like? Who are you having them with? And he said that, the conversations to make, if you're going to change the starting lineup for him, those are coaching staff conversations. They will speak to the players if they make a decision on it. So I don't think Dennis has been, I'm going to take the liberty with that communication that Dennis himself has not been, uh, bre- they haven't broached or breached that conversation. That's uh, That's what I would guess. So for all the people who, want that to happen. I'm sure we're still a little bit away from it, but I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility, especially since Darko is talking about it, you know? And part of it is that, like, whoever you ask a question to, they'll talk about the things mostly because you ask them about it. 
and you ask him like, hey, are you thinking about changing the starting lineup? You'll get an answer of sorts. And especially from coaches who typically um, are a little bit more uh, long-winded than the players. I couldn't think of the the positive synonym of long-winded because that has a negative connotation. I like when people are long-winded in media. It gives you much better answers. And the answers today were tough. I think the guys feel, the players feel a little bit downtrodden. There's just like underperforming their defensive talent. They have to work really, really hard for a lot of their baskets. It's, uh, it's been tough. Um, we had a question from, I believe it was ND. How do I feel about Precious starting? I get it. I like uh, ND, you know, very well. I'm a, a big Precious believer, not only in his, you know, in the short term, the floor of his game. I think he's valuable. I think he's a good player. I know people disagree with that, but also the ceiling of it all. I think that he's a unique player. I think that if he hits his ceiling, he's a player of major consequence, significant consequence. And I'm a big precious pusher. I support, I'm pushing P, man. He he impresses me. Now, of course, he disappoints me in a, a multitude of ways. And there's a lot of decision-making gaffes that, you know, accompany his game. But uh, I also, with all that said, if, if you sign Jakob Pertl, and there's like some cost fallacy stuff here, of course, but... If you sign Yaka Pertl, the four years, 80 million, if you trade a top six protected first in what looks like you might end up be giving anywhere from like the eighth pick this season to the, I don't know, 14th pick this season to the Spurs instead of yourself. And you're also giving up a second round pick this season and a second round pick in 2025. That's like you, they paid a lot for Jakob. And if they don't start him, that's crazy. Like, yeah, that would be uh, that would be really nuts. I see in this game why they moved away from him, and it is of course, like of course, of course, uh, disappointing that he isn't just like a no matter what player. You love no matter what players. The Raptors have a few of them. Pascal, Scotty, OG are no matter what players. Um, I also hope Precious becomes a uh, a no matter what player. I, I wonder if he does. I wonder if he doesn't. Um, but Jakob has to start because of like, uh, ND says like politics here. This is, there are like interpersonal things. There's like also the front office is like, look at what, you know, everybody said we need to go get a center, so we went and got him, and we paid top dollar, and then we paid him top dollar, and now we're bringing him off the bench? Um, Nesta says, to validate starting Yak, it would behoove them to start Gary to help spacing. I think that's probably the more likely thing. Like, that would be a curveball out of left field, or even maybe, like, more apt, there's those video, those viral videos of, like, a camera person talking, and then a ball just hits them in the side of the head. That is... If you start Precious, like if that's the decision they make is Dennis stays, Precious is in for Jakob. That is, I don't, if that happened, I would be shocked, like absolutely shocked. I think the the more linear path to a changed uh, starting lineup is where Gary comes in for Dennis. But also, Dennis has a large role on this team. This was something he talked about. 
before he signed with the team. This is something that the team has signed off on. And to make that change, conversations have to happen between player and team, player and coach, all this kind of stuff. Um, I see people talking about Grady. Hmm. Grady, I love taking pictures of his form while he shoots the basketball before games. I have a lot of them from this year. I loved that early on, you know, I suggested to Darko and Darko, my suggestions mean nothing to him for what it's worth. But when I talked to him about Grady, maybe having a, a big role in a game because of, you know, how the, the 76ers play on both sides of the floor, like maybe is this an opportunity for Grady? And he says, I guess we'll see. And then Grady has his be the best game of his rookie season. That was like a fun thing. But Grady has been disappointing uh, in the NBA. He's been disappointing in the G League too, which is maybe the most worrying part. Because I think Blake tweeted out a statistic that 70% of lottery picks spend time in the G League now. And I don't know if that dates back to like 2020 or 2019 or something like that. But it's not entirely uncommon for a guy like Grady to go to the G League, especially since he's a very young rookie. Um, he just turned 20, I believe, right? So that's an important factor. Grady has like years before he'll be the same age as Jordan Hawkins. But there's also like cap considerations about that too. When you draft a really young player because of you know how important being a good player on a cheap let's say rookie contract is to the economics of the nba especially when you look at the nuggets right they have a bunch of guys on rookie contracts who have like just fit around Jokic and they work they defend their butts off they cut they fill they shoot it's it's been important but with grady it's important to remember that he has years before he is the same age as some of the guys he's being compared to early on I do I do really wish that he was performing better in the G League. The G League also isn't really his style of basketball. It's important to remember that too, contextually. Like Pierre Jackson is the G League king for years. There are, there are guards who just go like bananas in the G League who never sniff the NBA because the G League isn't necessarily the league where dominating means you're an NBA player, you know? But not playing very well at the G League level is a bad sign. Now, I'm not out on Grady or anything, but I've been super disappointed with his start. Um, Nesta says Lorenzo Brown was G League MVP. This is actually one of my favorite Lewis Zatzman stories because Lewis kind of cut his teeth working with the 905 or covering them before moving up to the Raptors. And he said that Lorenzo Brown kind of like calcified his idea of G League versus NBA and he thought that Lorenzo Brown was awesome. And he was like, how is this guy not an NBA player? Because I'm watching him at the 905. I'm watching the G League MVP. But then he's in the NBA and he can't really, he can't make an impact. He can't find his way to it. And that's kind of my point. Um, ND says the thing about Grady is his game is really reliant on a shot making. Certainly. Um, Grady was drafted to be a shooter. If he doesn't shoot, the interesting other aspects of his game, which would be amplified by his shooting and which would be amplified by playing next to good players. All that stuff would immediately start clicking. That was a really soft snap. All that stuff would amplify, but this guy was drafted as a shooter. If he doesn't shoot it, he won't, he just won't be in the league. 
That's that's it. And Grady knows that. Grady was drafted as a shooter. The Raptors know that. They Neither camp, I'll be the third-party camp. Nobody here, Raptors, myself, Grady, nobody thought that uh, he wouldn't be shooting the basketball a lick. And, uh, yeah, Grady, you know, Curly says, if development is a priority, then play Grady and put him in a position to be successful. No reason why you can't use a shooter as currently constructed. I There's, of course, value in that. And getting guys reps and all that kind of stuff is important. However, he's not currently a shooter. That's like the crazy part. Uh, he is not a shooter right now. I hope he becomes one, but uh, it like just gets back to baseline for himself and then starts working himself up from there. But he's supposed to be a shooter, and I have no doubt that he will someday be a shooter, but that day is not today. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot of Grady talk. Uh, anything else interesting? A lot of people were really focused on, I know S, <laughs> S tweeted out the 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 usage stats for the fourth quarter and uh i think i think it was dennis's usage in the fourth quarter was like 41 percent or something like that i just want to stress to people that that is irregular um over the course of the season uh his usage percentage in the fourth quarter is like 22 percent it's higher than pascal's it's lower than scotty's but it's probably altogether too high still um both in the fourth quarter and overall, but yeah, uh, they got close in this game towards the end. But when you when the Nuggets start making their threes, uh, they start getting Jokic open on the short roll, and you on the other side are not able to man, not able to put yourself in a position to succeed over and over on offense. I think that's tough, certainly, but also like these these are the champions, you know. This is this is a really impressive team. Um, you know, Nesta says, but in a fourth quarter when you cut the lead to five points, why let Dennis take multiple threes? He only took two threes in the fourth quarter, and he made one of them. Like, that's an okay outcome. And he played, like, for example, Scotty plays eight minutes of the fourth quarter. OG plays all 12. Dennis plays, like, six and a half. He took four shots, which is maybe a bit too much. He had two assists, and he had a turnover. So five points, two assists, one turnover and four shots taken like that obviously equals a high usage um the odd thing is that pascal basically had nothing in the fourth quarter was kind of ignored but when we look at like precious was the precious i think he had what yeah 12 minutes of the fourth quarter precious was their their leader in scoring in the fourth quarter he went 80 percent on four of five um and he was one of two from downtown just like uh Really impressive from Precious. But uh, as far as like what the Raptors ran <laughs> in the fourth quarter, they've done a pretty good job of going to cross matches. And I really like, you know, um, I really like when the Raptors go to their cross matches when the shooting is going well. When they don't, it can often give the other team license to double and just take the ball out of their guys' hands. Scotty, I think, does a really good job of forcing the issue um, in fourth quarters by making sure that he presses with a live dribble in early offense. 
And that's why we see Scotty can typically, he can really control for his own volume in the fourth quarters because he's so aggressive. And a lot of the shots he ends up taking, he's choosing to go early clock. And the big thing is that Dennis is the Raptors early clock guy. He's moving them through a lot of their sets. He's the connection point on all of this kind of stuff. And also, he is an NBA player who wants to turn it downhill and wants to make plays in the fourth quarter. I think a little bit of, you know, a fault to Dennis is that when he sees an edge, he thinks like he has to go get there. Whereas earlier in the game, he might let that edge pass and move the Raptors on to something different. And I think he has to find a better balance especially if Darko isn't going to, you know, remove him from the starting lineup, especially if Dennis is going to keep getting a bunch of these possessions, he needs to find a better balance of like, do I push earlier in the game a little bit more often, put a little bit more pressure on the rim and create more advantages for my teammates more regularly throughout the game. And later in the game, do I maybe look at that smidgen of room past that, you know, Maybe I can maybe I can like push for it, escape dribble, see how the defense responds, ultimately move the ball on to one of Pascal or Scotty to make something happen. These are decisions that I wish he would make a little bit more often. But the truth of the matter is that he clearly has a vote of confidence from Darko. And, you know, none of his teammates have said anything bad about Dennis or anything like that. But um, Dennis, I think his usage is like too high overall too high in the fourth quarter and I hope that is curtailed a little bit but I don't think uh I don't think that the Raptors win this game even if they like play the perfect offense down the stretch because their defense wasn't good enough down the stretch and even though they got it close you know it was just shot making on Denver's side they also have Nikola Jokic good luck you know what I mean good luck see let's see if you can make it happen but it's really really difficult to do so and um, yeah, Tremaine Grant says Dennis needs to understand the pecking order, which is on the coaching, certainly to some degree. And also like coaches, they have control of the team to some degree, but this could be evidenced by the conversation Ja Morant had just last night, right? Ja comes back, he hits the game winner, you know, it's scripted, not actually, but like, that's the joke. It's a huge game. He, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. are are what they're having the conversation they don't talk about taylor jenkins you know they don't talk about that they say like we're having that conversation and um as far as like the raptors the players have a ton of input on what happens on the court too and obviously they're okay with dennis to some degree um i wish it was less but we keep getting around the same amount um nd says scotty did pretty well of scram switching though yeah but like you don't scram switch the short roll really like not often because the short roll is usually a result of like a switch or of uh blitzing and then Jokic is in the lane nobody's really scramming you're just like rotating to the man and um while Jokic did miss a couple times with scotty on him um the main means of how they defended him wasn't necessarily like attacking mismatches that you would have to scram out of. Jokic is just beating his regular check. So like a scram switch is good in a pinch. It's not something you scheme into that much. It's typically a read made by like the low man and the guy in the the weak side corner. 
or a weak side above the break, whichever who's whoever is in a better position to scram. And, you know, as good as scram switching can be, Nikola Jokic has 10 points in the fourth quarter, three, um, three boards, one assist. He shoots 67% from the floor. Good luck, you know, and that like them's the breaks. The Raptors also like in the fourth quarter, they shot 55% from the field and the Nuggets shot 43%. They did a really good job in the first half, especially with like these transitional bench lineups of guarding in space, getting a little bit of that shot variance on their side and doing a good job of, you know, closing out defensive possessions, pushing up the floor. Precious and Scotty, I think, did a fantastic job of scoring in space. But by the time when the game got into clutch time and they got kind of like into the nitty gritty, that's the thing about playing from behind. Just because you, it's a game of runs, right? You get within five and let's say you had like an 8-2 run to get within five. That was your run. You have to hang around during the next one or you have to put yourself in a position where like, you aren't the one coming from behind all the time because you could win. You could be like the greatest clutch time offense of all time. You could have the the best clutch rating in the NBA. And so here's the thing with that is that if you constantly play from behind, you could have the number one net rating in the NBA in clutch time and still be like, oh, for 46 in clutch time because you might have your clutch time net rating might be good, but if you're playing from behind, you're starting minus five every single time, all that kind of stuff. And it's just like they do, they do a really bad job of putting themselves in holes. ND says, I meant down the stretch, they would screen Dennis to get him on Murray. Then Jokic screens for Dennis to switch him on him at the elbow thought Scotty did fine, but Jokic is just Jokic sometimes. Yeah, Scotty, I thought that Scotty, you know, I said this at the start of the podcast, I thought that Scotty and OG in particular did a good job on Jokic. Um, Pascal got cross-matched the one time and just didn't have any, like, he had no resistance, really. Um, Pascal has done that, like, kind of, he, when he knows he doesn't have the weight, and he, and since he is, like, a little bit more foul-prone as a player, and, and Pascal gets such a bad whistle, man. Um, his whistle still kind of, you know, confounds me. Um, he, he just tries not to foul guys, tries not to put them on the line and stuff like that because he fouls in help, you know, a decent amount of time and he, like he'll foul on the perimeter, which I wish he fouled less, but that's the reason it's not an excuse, but this is his motivation before he ends up playing bad defense on, on Nikola Jokic. Um, but I thought OG and Scotty both did fairly, you know, they did a decent job and Jokic is just like. He's that dude. He's probably the best player in the world. Um, yeah. Soldier T1 says, just came here to ask Samson, why don't you reporters ask the real uncomfortable questions? Like, why is Dennis still in the starting lineup? Is the coaching staff just plain stupid or what? So here's the thing. Um, I see this stuff all the time on Twitter. People complain about, like, the media. I don't see people complain about specific reporters very often, but people complain about the media a lot. I just think people don't pay that much attention to what's actually being asked. Like tonight, you know, Darko got asked about the starting lineup. I sat there when he did, when he got asked, I asked a follow-up question about it. And I think a lot of the questions that people say they want asked are actually being asked. Just nobody's like actually listening to the presser. 
Like, I, I, I really do mean that. People are like, why don't people ask about this? And it's like, well, mostly you probably just didn't have it aggregated to you on your Twitter timeline. But a lot of these questions do get asked. Like, I, I really do mean that. Um, I know when, uh, when I had the question and follow-up question to Masai Ujiri, everybody was tweeting about it because everybody was watching the like the the media day presser it was pretty um pretty yeah i guess like a lot of people watched it um nesta is saying like you know he watches sung jin woo say they watch like i i get it but you guys probably see that those questions do get asked maybe people have a problem that is not like hey darko you idiot why are you doing this instead it's like hey you said you were going to consider starting lineup change you wanted to see a couple more games with this unit why haven't you done that um and that's just maybe not the exact same framing that people want but it's also the human framing like i have to go talk to darko the person um tremaine grant says the issue is it's not asked enough if you ask darko like three games ago hey are you going to change the starting lineup and Darko says, I want to give these guys a few more games together. And then you revisit that after a few more games. I don't think that's a failure um, of the media. And also Coco says something really insightful here. Also, just because it's asked, it doesn't mean you'll get the answer you want. Feels like an extended conversation often. That's true. Like you can ask, um, you can ask whatever you want. It doesn't have to be, uh, I guess, it doesn't have to be something they answer. ND says, part of it is, I think y'all go more of a roundabout way. Fans want y'all to be a dickhead. Roundabout? I Like, I don't know, man. Um, it's just human, probably. Like, is it does it, I think, like, yeah, that's probably true. Fans want us, the media, to be, like, mean to people. Which, like, good lord, man. I, I don't know. I, um, I ask questions mostly about the basketball side of things. Not like that much interpersonal stuff, but uh, I don't like, I don't know, man. It's my job is to ask questions related to my coverage. And if there were something that um, there was something that I felt was like unethical or something like that, then I would have to ask. Um, but as far as uh, I don't know, as far as like, just like be angry up there, I don't uh, I don't agree with that. Um, but like, I, I see people like making their case in the chat. Uh, when you guys say like, you want questions asked, I do see those questions asked by the media, but like, maybe the, you guys don't like the answer. If like, if Darko gets for the rest of the season asked, like every five games, are you changing the starting lineup? It doesn't mean that the starting lineup will change. And maybe you guys would still be upset at the media that it wasn't like, enough or anything like that but um yeah og3 says fans want you to ask questions with the same energy as their angry live tweets i do um i do kind of get that sense certainly it's it's something i i wonder about it's never that's never been my like i'm a fan of other things and uh it's never been my um it's never been my fan experience that i want like the reporters to go up there and be like angry, be mad. Um, yeah. 
Tremaine Grant says, well, this is the first time that Jack Armstrong alluded to a lineup change, so they are hearing the noise. I think that this is maybe the biggest disconnect. The noise isn't what's going to create a, a lineup change. Results are. Um, when the Raptors tried to bring back Fred Van Vliet, they didn't, Fred Van Vliet didn't leave the Raptors because he was like, oh, everyone's mad and mean. Um, the Raptors didn't let him go because they're like, oh, the fans don't like Fred Van Vliet now. The Raptors tried to sign Fred Van Vliet because they thought he was a positive player for the team. They offered him over $30 million to do so. He ended up taking another deal. Um, the noise, me going up there and asking Darko, like, hey, why don't you do this? I don't know if you guys know, like, the NBA environment. There's a lot of hard asses there. Me being up there myself and being like, why don't you do the basketball thing that I say when there's like millionaires and NBA million dollar NBA players that do all that kind of stuff who are saying what they want? What I think, even if I ask every single day, is not going to create a, you know, an outcome. And I think maybe that's the disconnect is um, just because I ask about something, um, just because of media pressure. This isn't politics. This is a, you know. You can see outcomes, um, tangible game to game things that are happening. Um, and just because I ask about something doesn't mean I can make something happen. I have, you know, a lot of people watch my stuff or read my work or all that kind of stuff. And it might help, you know, inform some fans about a certain type of thing. But it will, um, it will never, ever um, make them decide something. Flavius Film says, I think if you keep on asking over and over, you may get somewhere. Absolutely not, man. How? Absolutely not. No. Never. Never, man. I like these guys. It's the Raptors job to be aware of my work and what I cover and all that kind of stuff. The players to a lesser degree pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, they know what I say here. They know what I say in the pressers. Nobody cares what I think. Like, Darko gets paid millions of dollars to make these decisions. There's a coaching staff. There's um, a front office with their own motivations. Nobody cares what I say. Nobody cares what Blake says. Nobody cares what William Lou says. Nobody cares what the tweets say. That's They will make the decisions based on in-house stuff. Um, yeah. And I know people are now saying, like, maybe the front office should listen. There are times that the fan consensus has been more correct, like, in the broad sense, than the front office consensus, I think. You know? that's that, I think that's true. I think sometimes the overall consensus of the fan base can actually be really correct on something in a way that the front office isn't. Of course, there's way different ways to get to those points and maybe one is like more nuanced or something like that but i think that's true sometimes that can be true but um i think that like these people get paid a lot of money they obviously and they're like insulated they talk to each other they talk to other people in the lead in the league sorry and that's what makes decisions and all that kind of stuff um a lot of the complaints about the front office, though, are complaints that I share. The last two times I talked to Masai, 
you know, because his pressers aren't very common anymore. It was at the end of last season and the start of this season. Both were not contentious, but both of which I was talking about his failures as a, you know, a, a front office person. What has been happening? To, why aren't the Raptors succeeding at things that they haven't been succeeding at or that they had been succeeding at prior? And I can do that. And Nesta says prickly, um, I can do that and I can say these things to Masai and Masai doesn't care what I think. Like, I, I really mean that. Um, it's, uh, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't create change. This is a long, this is a lot of like inside baseball, I believe is the term, but it, but it is interesting because I do think about this stuff, you know, a decent amount of time because of the time. Because it is interesting to think about, like, how you're being perceived. And also, like, I guess technically I am media. Um, however, I'm not the usual type of media because a lot of the people who cover the the Raptors are, you know, paid by the same people who own the Raptors. I get that. But if you, like, tune in, not that I listen to William Liu. I don't listen to basketball podcasts, really. Um, but a lot of people say William Liu, like, if you listen to his episodes, he's really harsh on the Raptors and really critical. And I can't, um, I can't like confirm that, but I, I assume they're probably not lying. Um, he, he's probably like harsher than I am in some sense. Right. I think that's kind of what will had been popular for coming up is that like, you know, he's a little bit more emotionally charged after the losses and stuff like that. And he's looking for answers and stuff. So and he's the biggest voice in Canadian basketball, right? Like, I think the the Raptor show with Will and Blake and Alex, I think, is the most popular broadcast as far as, you know, people who listen. And they, I think that, and conversations I have with Blake for consumption, um, I think he's also, like, very low on the team, the upside of it and the floor. So, I like, I don't think there's a controlled media thing here. Um, but I do think... And especially when I was like asking Masai questions, I saw all the memes and tweets of people like it was cathartic for um, it was cathartic for the people on Twitter for me to kind of echo some of the sentiments that had been echoed on Twitter. But just because it's cathartic to experience or whatever does not mean that the Raptors are going to do anything different. And I guess that's basically the the sum of it. Um, I I love these. Yeah, I love these conversations. I, I really like them in person too. Like when we do like the live shows and stuff like that, not live on YouTube, but in person. Um, I always have such interesting conversations with, you know, people about my job and my coverage and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, I wish to some degree. Um, I wish that, uh, I wish that, you know, if I said something was like a really good idea. Um, yeah. Okay. Andy has a good one. I know you probably can't answer this, but do you think Aaron and Doug get a hard time as a hard time as media personalities? Um, I think that you are exposed to a ton of people talking about you as a sports media personality for not a lot of money. That's like, that's my, I think um yeah you said you found doug's burner neil no nd is a real person he's been on this podcast before he was part of the call show i just um 
I don't know. Like I do my best not to uh, have negative conversations. And then I just hope that negative conversations don't find me. Um, Daniel Brody says, how are the snacks in the media room? Man, don't get me started. Um, uh, Aaron got ratioed off the planet for the Scotty might not be a clear cut all-star tweet. He got eviscerated by raps. Twitter says Phoenix plays. I disagree with that Aaron tweet. Um, while Scotty might not end up being an all-star, I think that he has firmly put himself in the conversation. I talked to him about that a little bit after the game. Um, I, I disagreed with, uh, I disagreed with, with Aaron's presentation of that, but I mean, it could end up be that Scotty doesn't get selected, but if Scotty plays this well and doesn't get selected, that's a crime in, in my opinion. But you know, crimes happen as far as selections. SGA didn't get picked in 2020, 21 instead of Mike Conley. And he was much better. This kind of stuff happens, but um, yeah, I don't like, I don't know. It's, People talk about you. I see people say weird things about me online and stuff like that. Um, Coco says celebrity problems without celebrity pay. That's absolutely true. And also, while keeping in mind that it's my job and other people's job who do this to do their best to put their best foot forward to try and make sure that you're not getting a ton of negative blowback. But then there's some people who do this job who they don't care if they get negative blowback because they can, you know, they can... I, you know, insulate themselves from the online experience. Um, yeah. Okay. That's probably where I'm going to leave it. Um, <laughs> if Aaron or Doug listen to this, my apologies for being a part of the, of the conversation. Um, and if anybody else, uh, if anybody else it was really disinterested in um, the subject matter, my apologies. We talked a lot of basketball to get to this point. Um, thanks to everybody in the chat. You guys are the best. I forgot to read out. Um, Ali Dez had a donated comment, uh, three bucks, and says, first half bench points, Denver 18, Toronto 5. It was tough in the first half, but a credit to the Raptors. The bench came on really strong at the end. And, um, yeah, Neil B says, Samson, a good company, man. I'm not even part of the company, dude. Uh, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> I'm just trying to, I don't know. I don't want to say mean things or anything like that. I don't, I don't want it. If anybody watches, um, I, I think you should leave. I don't want anybody to have the worst day at their job. You know? Um, yeah. The last thing, uh, Nesta says it best vote Scotty for all-star. I think that's important. Um, Scotty, he needs the, the support from the fan base. Um, the Raptors community has in the past been like an extremely powerful voting block. Um, see if you can get them in the mix in that first, uh, in that first return of votes or whatever. So yeah, see what you can do. Um, to the people listening, thank you for doing so. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I got to go hop on a plane in not so long. And then, uh, you guys will get some of these podcasts from, uh, from my home well not my childhood home or anything but from saskatchewan and i'm gonna eat some sourdough pancakes have some of the um i guess the comforts of home etc okay thanks to everybody for listening uh for being insightful engaging and thoughtful it makes all these things way better an hour and 11 minutes is way too long for this nd says shout out midwest canada i know you're there right now all right everybody Thanks for tuning in and whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.